0: Okay, Uh, we last week started a series on Christmas, sort of an Advent series. We're continuing in that today. The title of the sermon is Christmas Love, and we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter two. So let's turn there. Ephesians chapter two, we'll just kind of use this text as sort of a backdrop to what we'll be talking about, which is Christmas love. Last week was Christmas hope. Oh, yes, a, a little warning. Um, sometimes parents bring their kids in the sanctuary, which is totally cool, even though we have the best kids' church in the world, just suited for them. If, if you bring your kids in the sanctuary, that's okay. But today, I'm going to say some things about Santa Claus that may be disturbing to young people. Um, who esteem him. So it doesn't look like any of them are in here today. Some of you older folks, it might even be hard for you. So if you're real big on on Santa, uh, like Gilkey is there, you might want to bail out now. Fair warning. I will be reading the New Living Translation this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Once you were dead... Because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature or excuse me, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the things he planned for us long ago. This is God's wonderful and holy word. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For your word before us this morning, your word washing over us this morning, filling our ears and so permeating our minds and our hearts. Thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it might pierce to the deepest places of our lives, our deepest hopes, our deepest fears, our deepest insecurities, our deepest dreams. Your word goes there and sheds light and brings truth. Thank you for your inerrant, glorious word. Would you, God, by your spirit, accomplish your will in us this morning through your word? Would our hearts be thrilled with the good news of Christmas, overwhelmed with the truth of the gospel, that it would bring us joy, true joy in this season? Help me to teach and preach now, God, in a way that is faithful and brings you glory and serves well your church. Help us to hear and to rejoice in and to obey your word. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we're talking about Christmas these few weeks, I I have to admit that it actually takes a a lot of effort for me. Like I have to be really intentional to not let Christmas be just all about the gifts and the presents that I want to get and give to some degree. But mostly, I'm just being honest, I have to be super intentional to not let it be all about the gift giving and the getting of gifts. And in my family, we are super huge on Christmas gifts. It's just like a thing for us. I don't know how it happened. Uh, My parents were poor when I was growing up. At some point, they must have started doing better because all my memories are tons of Christmas presents at Christmas time. And I am so thankful for that. That tradition continues in the Merrick family. Uh, the first year that Kate and I were married, I got her 27 presents on that first Christmas morning. I mean, that's just what it's like at our family. And I I expect at least 27 every single year. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's honestly a beautiful thing, um, it may be a little absurd, but it's really fun to be in the Merrick family at Christmas time. I love the presents. But you know, as Christians, we realize that there is a reason why we give gifts at Christmas time. There's a reason for this. Remember this text from last week, Isaiah 9 For to us a child is born, a son is given. That is the foundational basis for what we do at Christmas in giving. Think of this New Testament passage, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christmas is about the fact that God in his love has given us his son that we might have the forgiveness of sins, salvation, new life, and eternal life. So, all the giving that we do at Christmas time is meant to be symbolic of the giving that has been directed toward us from God in Christ. It's meant to represent that ultimate gift. That's where we get this whole present thing. Every present is a shadow. Of this ultimate present that has been given to us by God in Christ because of His great love. So, in that sense, the Merrick family is killing it at Christmas time, crushing it in our gift giving. That's my justification, anyway. Now, culturally, though, this concept of gift giving based on God's gift has been perverted and is broken. Culturally, this idea of giving gifts at Christmas because God has given us the gift of His Son has been perverted, twisted, and is broken. Follow me here. Remember last week, the sermon from last week? How many of you were here last week? Okay, most of you. The rest of you forget about it. Remember last week? Why did God promise to give this gift, the gift of His Son, the gift of the Messiah, to Israel? Was it because Israel had been, was, and were being good and so deserved it? No, it wasn't. Remember this juicy little passage from last week in Isaiah 1. God said about Israel, oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. So clearly... They weren't being, had not been, they were not good, and they weren't deserving of anything good from God. In fact, they were bad. But what we saw last week in Christmas Hope was that in spite of them in their performance, God was endeavoring to, in the Messiah, give them something good, to give them a good gift, though it was thoroughly undeserved. It's the same concept when he gave Israel the land. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 9 about that. The Lord speaking to Israel says, Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff necked people. He said to Israel, You guys are naughty, bad, and stubborn, but God is still doing something good for you. Here we begin to see the way that it works in the economy of God. So remember this passage from last week, Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, upon them a light will shine. Notice they walked in darkness. This was self-created darkness in their rebellion against God. It wasn't merely environmental. It wasn't merely circumstantial. Though those were components of it and the effects of sin. But this was a self created darkness that they were walking in, living in. And into that, God would bring light in His mercy and in His grace and in the promise of His Son, the Messiah. This, by the way, is why at Christmas time we do lights. This is why we do lights, to represent the great light that dawned in the darkness at the coming of Jesus Christ. Now understand, they didn't deserve good. They didn't deserve light. This was pure grace. This was true love. This is the unconditional love of God. Pictured beautifully in this context in Isaiah 43. Look what it says. But now, O Jacob, another word for Israel. Listen to the Lord who created you. O oh, Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. You see that little telegraphing of of Jesus on the cross for us? Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Listen to the loving language of God toward His people and toward humanity, even in the midst of our rebellion, our badness, our undeservedness. God speaks these words of love and of great value that we have before God. Now, I said a moment ago that the concept of gift-giving in our Christmas culture is twisted and broken. Because what we have done in our cultural concept of Christmas is we have taken this theology of grace, this expression of unconditional love, and we have replaced it with Santa Claus theology. We have taken this theology of grace, this expression of unconditional love, and replaced it with Santa Claus theology. Now, let me explain to you what Santa Claus theology is. Santa Claus theology is this. If you are naughty, you get nothing. Only if you are nice will you get something. That's Santa Claus theology. If you are naughty, you get nothing. Maybe a lump of coal, but who wants that? If you, only if you are nice will you ever get something. Our culture is taking the true idea of an undeserved gift and made it about being deserving, made it about merit and demerit. We've taken the idea of grace and unconditional love and undeserved gift and made it about being deserving, merit and demerit. And that is not Christmas love. That is not what God means and the gift that he has given to the world that has caused us to call something Christmas. Santa Claus is evil because Santa Claus theology is a direct attack upon the gospel of grace. It is a direct perversion, a twisting of the gospel of grace. Santa Claus theology is literally an evil thing. It is not what God had in mind. It isn't what the angel had in mind when he appeared to the shepherds in the field and announced, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. Santa Claus theology is not what the angel had in mind when he made that announcement. The good news of great joy for all the people is that we did not deserve and yet we would be given good and a good gift and kindness. The good news of great joy for all the people is that by God, we are loved even though we do not deserve it. God is always spoken of this. Look what he says to Israel in Deuteronomy. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face, face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Now look what he says. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other peoples for you are the fewest of all peoples. In other words, it wasn't because they were big and awesome and shiny and something of great value inherently. Verse 8, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love. God told his people Israel, I didn't choose you because you were big and awesome. I chose you simply because I loved you. Now we have a New Testament expression of this for all of God's people. Same sort of idea in Ephesians chapter one, where it says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes pause right there, before he made the world. So before we even had the opportunity to do anything good or bad, he already decided to love us and choose us. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So, we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us. You see how that is totally void of Santa Claus theology? God is not like Santa Claus. He doesn't function in the same principle. It's another principle altogether. That idea is a direct attack on the gospel of grace that is what Christmas is supposed to be all about. I was getting a haircut this this week and and my barber was asking me questions about Whatever stuff. And, and she said, are, are, do you teach your kids about Santa Claus? You know, is it like Christmas a big deal at your house? Do you teach your kids about Santa Claus? And I said in my nicest voice, no. I don't teach my kids about Santa Claus. Oh, she said, oh well, why not? Well, because I want my kids to believe in God. So if I start out by telling them that a man they cannot see is real, And then at some point, they're going to discover, oh, he wasn't really real. And then later on, when they're older, I want to tell them about Jesus, a man they cannot see who is real. How have I served them in any way? She got very uncomfortable. Oh. And if, if we want to teach our children about the gospel about the unconditional love of God, about the fact that God is kind to us even though we do not deserve his kindness and has given us a good gift and gives us good gifts even though we are undeserving, why would I train them from the very earliest age to think about a man they cannot see who will only give to them when they are nice and not naughty? I'm sorry to be offensive, but Santa Claus is evil. <clears throat> and, you know, the, the flip side of that coin is that we, humanity, are not merely naughty. That, that's like a, a, a euphemism. That's like a nice way of describing what we are. We are not merely naughty. Scriptures say that we are evil in our rebellion against God. And, and we are not ever actually nice. Nice. Scriptures say that according to God's standard, all have gone astray, none have done good, that we are wretched and blind, all of us have sinned and fallen way short of God's glory and standard. Here's the problem with the naughty, nice paradigm the naughty are told, and so believe this I have to. And I actually am able to do something to earn God's love. That's Santa Claus theology. And conversely, the nice are told and so believe, I have already done something to make myself deserving of God's love. The promise of those two sides of the coin of Santa Claus theology is that neither of them are true. They simply are not true statements. The truth is this. We are more wicked than we ever dare imagine. But we are more loved than we could ever possibly dream. This is Bible theology. Here's an important statement. God does not love us because we are lovable. God loves us because he is love. His love for us is not based upon who we are, but rather who he is. We are not loved by God because there's something in us that makes us inherently lovely, but we do become lovely as we experience God's love. God is not like Santa Claus, neglecting the naughty and rewarding only the nice. That that paradigm isn't news. That is the de facto way that the moral universe works. Naughty, nice, merit, demerit. That's not news. But what Christmas has brought us is good news. Angels showed up. To the shepherds and said, Behold, I bring you good news. The good news is that God loves us because of who He is in spite of us. Some good New Testament phraseology in this around Romans. Look at Romans. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, justified, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, notice that phrase right there, that is the clear opposite of Santa Claus theology. God did something good for us while we were still enemies of God, in rebellion to God, sinners against God. It wasn't that we saw, oh no, I'm on the the naughty list and and then once I get on the nice list, then God will do something good for me. That's not news and that's not good. That's the de facto way that the moral universe functions. This is good news. While we were enemies of God, therefore we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice. And our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. That's what the angels were announcing. That's the idea of Christmas. Now, it, it also includes, as I alluded to, bad news. The bad news, when we understand that, causes us to rejoice when we realize the good news. Again, no one is merely naughty, and no one is actually anywhere near nice. Utterly helpless, it says. Sinners, enemies of God. So the Scripture says, to the supposed nice, you're not actually lovable in the eyes of a holy God. And the Scripture says to the supposed naughty, You could never possibly do anything to make yourself lovable, so to speak, in the eyes of God. Merry Christmas. (laughs) The true nature of God's love is that it is not deserved. We are not nice. And it cannot be earned. God loves us because of who he is not because of who we are. This is why the coming of Jesus in both the Old and the New Testament is likened to the dawn, the coming of light. All right, here's the way that Matthew rephrased it, that portion of Isaiah 9 that we looked at last week. It's not on there, I'll just read it. It says, the land of Zebulun in the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. That was the coming of Jesus. The invasion of light into our dark, self-inflicted circumstances. The good news dawning into the midst of the bad news. And the darkness of the pre-Christmas dawn is when we wonder, well, am I loved by God? Can I possibly be accepted by God? And what Christmas remembers and celebrates and holds forward every year to the world is an end to that dark speculation by bringing us the dawn, the light, the coming of the Messiah, the gift of God. Now, speculation is real in the hearts of men and women. Pre-Christian and post-Christian conversion, that, that speculation is real for us at different times. Listen to the kindness of God in this passage from Isaiah. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, God's people, it's another way of talking about Israel, God's people said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. And now this is what the Lord says in response. Look at how beautiful this is. Can a woman forget her nursing child? and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Pause right there. It's like a rhetorical question. The idea is, of, of, of course not. But then look what he says. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. What? That was 700 years before the Messiah, the gift Jesus came and died on a cross and God is already telegraphing. I will never forget you. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Jesus bears the marks of the unconditional, undeserved, unending, unfathomable love of God. I can never forget you. Who's wounded for you? Nailed to the tree in your stead. I bear the wounds. God says, I could never forget you. You see how that light breaks into that darkness of the pre-Christmas sort of malaise of saying, gosh, can God ever accept me? Can God ever take me back? Can Can I ever be loved? Here is some true Christmas love theology. Listen to this statement. If God's love for us and kindness toward us is not based on our being lovable, in other words, if it is not deserved, then it can actually be greater than we could ever deserve or warrant in and of ourselves. Think about the old phrase, you get what you deserve. So in Santa Claus theology, you get what you deserve. But if God's love is not deserved, if it isn't earned, then it can be, and it actually is far greater than what we deserve. Listen, here's what you never want to say with God. Give me what I deserve. (laughs) It's not what you say. And if God were to only give us what we deserve, even in the best sense, it would pale in comparison to what we get. We get far more than what we deserve. So here's a couple if then corollary statements. These aren't on the screen, so just listen. And if you think God loves you because of you, then you will think God does not love you because of you. You see what I'm saying? If you adopt a Santa Claus theology and think, well, I've been good, so God loves me and God's going to give me good things, Santa Claus theology, then conversely, when you do bad, you will expect bad things from God. That's not good news. That's the de facto functioning of the world. That's not news, but we have been brought good news. God's kindness toward us is not predicated upon our goodness. Therefore, we don't lose his kindness when we are bad. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. Another if-then corollary statement. If you think God loves you because of what you do, then you will think he does not love you when you do wrong. Again, that's exactly what Christmas sets us free from. Here's one we'll put on the screen more Christmas theology. If God's love for us and kindness toward us is not based on our being good, if it cannot be earned, then it will remain when we fail. In other words, here's the profound part. If it cannot be earned, it cannot be lost. That's the good news. If it wasn't earned, it can't be lost. God's love endures. It's an everlasting covenant If it cannot be earned, it cannot be lost. This is truly good news. For you know, life puts us in spaces and places sometimes where we feel abandoned by God. That's not true. Life puts us in spaces and places sometimes where we are wondering, gosh, will God ever take me back? How could God love me now? I'm not worth anything. That is never true. God's love is bigger than that. Or, you know, if we think that, and this is just as wrong, if we think that somehow we've earned or deserve something good from God, then we actually far underestimate God's love. God will love us and be kind toward us in a degree that far out exceeds any goodness that we may think that we have. And we have none of our own. All our righteousness is in Christ. But what we do when we start to adopt this idea of, well, I'm kind of good, is we underestimate God's love and goodness and his kindness toward us. Again, it's like saying, give me what I deserve. And he gives us so much more than that. Again, Ephesians 1 gets at it. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us. Showered his kindness on us. So what Christmas affords us the opportunity to do is rise above all the other stuff Free us from the Santa Claus theology. That is not only the way that we so often deal with one another, but the way that we start to think about God, and allows us to think Christmassy gospely thoughts. That's what we do as God's people at this time. We think these Christmassy gospely thoughts. We oppose Santa Claus theology. And we realize when life was hard, if God's love is based on who he is and not who we are. And God's love cannot fail because God never fails. God says in Jeremiah 31 I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. So maybe you feel far from God this Christmas season. Maybe life has let you down and it feels like God has let you down. Maybe life has just been hard as it is so often. God is always drawing us with loving kindness. God is always present and he's always working. By his very nature, he can't abandon us. Our own mothers would abandon us at the breast sooner than God will ever abandon us. He has inscribed us on the palms of his hands. So bring your hard life to God. Bring your disappointments to God. Let them be confronted with his covenantal, faithful, everlasting love. Take communion today. Jesus, at the last supper with his disciples, held up the cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Covenantal love. It depends fully upon God and not us. That's the good news. We have and will perform poorly. Christ has lived and died and been risen in our stead that we might have life in him. And you know, the thing about Christmas is it reminds us that Christianity is an embodied faith, right? The whole thing about Christmas is like God came to earth in the form of a baby, took on human flesh, Right? It's an embodied faith. So our response to God should be embodied as well. In other words, we should, we should act out, we, we should do, we should show forth the wonderful truth that's been given to us by God in Christ. That's why we do things like we come and we take communion together. It's an, it's an embodied faith. There's an action. Do something about what you've heard. If you've heard good news this morning, then lift your hands to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Embody that. God draped himself in humanity, was born of a woman and laid in a manger because of this great love. So we express that love in embodiment. Do something kind for someone. Give to someone generously. Bring your dramas to the Lord. Bring them to the Lord. Get on your face before God. Pour it out before him. Let his kindness and his covenantal love confront that. Don't be shy about your disappointments before God. He knows. Don't put on a smiley Christian face and act like everything is okay if it isn't. He knows. Come before him. And say, God, I, I believe this is who you are in your love, but this is the way my life feels right now. Meet me, God, and minister your love to me. He's always present with us, always working. As Christians, we do something about what we've heard. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for these kind truths that you've given us. Lord, if this is new truth for anybody here, that they are wildly loved by God and that Jesus has been given to them as the one who paid the price for their sins on the cross and rose from the dead, they might, that they might have the forgiveness of sins and new life. I, I, I pray that, God, you draw them right now and they would repent of their sins and turn to you for forgiveness. And I pray that you'd flood them with Christmas grace they would experience your love and your acceptance and your beauty and your holiness. Pray for those of us in this room that are distracted by life and maybe the season or maybe hardships or we've just kind of drifted and grown cold. Would you please, Holy Spirit, thrill our hearts once again with the gospel of love, with the gospel of grace. Forgive us for when we think we've earned something before you. Lift us when we know that we've fallen so far short of your standard. Thank you for the great acceptance sir, as in Christ in the love of the Father today. Holy Spirit, that you pour the love of the Father into our hearts. Thank you for Christmas love. In Jesus' name, amen.